Hello and welcome to this week's episode. My name is Guy. It hasn't changed, won't change most likely, unless uh, it changes, in which case then it will have changed. We are talking today on how to address mind control in your role-playing games. Now, I have played many fantasy games. I've played many science fiction games where mind control is a thing and some do it better than others. Uh, but we're not pointing fingers. We're not trying to break the system. We're trying to learn what to do with mind control in general. So these are my observations on mind control. Now, for those of you that are new to this show, it is recorded live every Tuesday at 5 p.m. GMT, which is 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. So you can join us live for that, and I'll take questions and answers and all kinds of wonderful things and your input as well. So I do encourage you to join us. That's on discord.gg forward slash greatgm. Now, the topic under discussion today was voted for by yourselves on the youtube.com forward slash c forward slash how to be a great GM community page. How's that for a link? And uh, the topic usually goes up on a Monday, and then we give it basically 24 hours to vote for the topic. Okay, so mind control. Mind control is a thing that happens in a lot of games. In my two games that I run now on a Sunday evening and a Monday evening, these are private games that I run, I have two bards. Well, uh, yeah, bards, I suppose, is the right term. I have two characters who love using mind control. They use, uh, it's Dungeons and Dragons, so they use things like mass suggestion and uh, suggestion. Occasionally they'll use dominate person or dominate monster, things along those lines. But they do love their mass suggestions. And there are other role-playing systems out there that have lots of mind control type characters. Um, if you look at the Jedi from Star Wars, for example, they've got some mind control things. Literally, it's called control, uh, although that sometimes is not what control is all about. Anyway, there are there are systems that have these things. So now the thing that I think is important with mind control is firstly to put it into a category. And the category that you should think about are, and these are broad strokes, these are broad strokes, uh, friends, suggestions, and domination. Now, if your role-playing system isn't discrete, if it doesn't say, well, this is how far friends would go, this is how far uh, suggestions would go, this is how far domination would go, and some of them don't. They, they just sort of rely on the spell description or the power description to, to do that. I like to use these three different levels, friends, suggestions, and domination. And the reason why I like to do that is because it allows me to then understand the motivations and the limitations of that particular magical effect. So with friends, I always ask myself, what my character is being asked to do. And when I say my character, as the GM, NPCs are my characters. They are my characters. And for the moment that the spell is being cast, from the moment that spell is being cast, that target is my character. So what would my character do if they were friends with the party? And frequently, players will find that the, the powers that cause friendship or a sense of friendship or a trusting nature, something that allows the, the, the NPC to trust the PCs, they will get quite a lot of information, provided that they are friendly back. However, 
Something that I have learned as well is that if a friend comes up to me and says, hey, I need to know the secret access code to the bank vault that you got. I wouldn't say, oh, sure, buddy, here it is. I might be friends with them and say, well, look, I really think it would be a dangerous idea for me to give you those codes. I could lose my job. Uh, there are all kinds of ramifications for that. If you knew them, I mean, they change on a daily basis. Why are you asking me for these codes? What's up? Do you need help? So do you see how instead of just capitulating to this notion that friends are just going to give out all the information. Friends are going to try and help each other. They're going to try and support each other. Or at least that's what they should be doing. As chat is saying, friends don't ask friends to share passwords. Well, unless you've locked yourself out of your computer and you're in a different country and you really need a document and well, sometimes you might. But generally speaking, yes, I agree with you. Friends don't ask friends to share passwords. And other comments, if I told you, I would have to kill you and I don't want to do that. Absolutely. And then another comment, very, very, very appropriate comment. If it was a serious question, they'd likely no longer be friends. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, but if you're going to try and abuse our friendship to find out when the prince is going on his royal tour, you know I can't tell you that. And if you ask me again, unfortunately, we're going to have to end this conversation. And you're going to have to think very carefully about why we're friends. So I think that this form of breaking it down is pretty good. Now, if you look at the next step, suggestions. Suggestions are frequently used. Mass suggestion is one of the spells that comes up in D&D a lot, especially in sort of the mid and higher level campaigns. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's all about what is a good suggestion. And for suggestion, we need to have context. So the god is, there's a spell that's cast. You suggest that the god puts his weapon down because it would make sense for him to do so. Well, that is potentially a reasonable suggestion, given though that the god might be fired for doing that. For example, if you were to suggest to the palace guards that stand so proud and regal outside of Buckingham Palace and all of those wonderful tourist attractions that they cause, if you were to suggest to one of them to suddenly start dancing or singing, that's a bad suggestion. They wouldn't do that. If you suggested to them that after their shift, they came out for a drink with you, that they certainly could follow with because that's a reasonable suggestion. So whenever my players use suggestion spells, they know they need to think about it in terms of context so that they don't try and cast these spells or use these effects that are just never going to work. Then finally, domination, you have no choice in domination. When there are things that you control someone else's mind, when you take over somebody else's mind, that is literally when they have no control. And that raises a whole host of interesting things. But before we get there, some of the things that I often rely on to help me make this decision how far does friendship go? How far does suggestion go? How far does dom uh, um, domination go? And there's one that I've left out, which chat's just reminded me about, is how far does the charming, quick-talking, general kind of nice guy, nice girl, nice person attitude, how far does that go? 
because we all know that there are fast-talking characters out there who'll weasel their way into any kind of situation. It's not actually a spell, it's just force of their charisma, their magnetic personality, their charming personality. How far would they go with that? I take that as being a step under friends, but a step above indifference. And indifference is where the person is not going to deviate, they're not going to go out of their way, they're not going to do anything that is in any shape or form extra effort. Whereas with someone who has been charmed by a charismatic speaker, well, they might go slightly out of their way, they might do something that has very little risk to them, but they're not going to go very far out on a limb. They're not going to break rules and things like that. They're not friends. So that leads me quite neatly into the first of the contextualizing places that I go to when I think about what the effect of these abilities are. And that's Oges, their occupation, their goal, their attitude, and their stake. Because if I go up to one of my friends and they're having a bad day, and I ask them to do something over and above what they're already doing, hey, Buddy, I know that uh, it's a particularly miserable and horrific day for you. Uh, would you mind taking my trash down to the dump that's, uh, oh, a hundred miles away? Thanks, you're a pal. Oh, by the way, the bag's burst and I need you to pick it all up first. It doesn't matter what kind of friend they are, they're going to politely decline. They should decline anyway, regardless of what kind of friend they are, unless you are having a worse day than they are. So there are things that Ogas will help you. Does their occupation allow them to do what is being asked of them? And training is very, very important in that. Will a soldier hand over their weapon to a potentially unknown person or to, to even to their friend? They might do it if there was no risk of them being discovered. But if they're on guard duty, on high alert, and someone says, hey, I'm your friend, give me your sword. I'm sorry, I can't do that. So think about it in those kind of contexts. So Ogas really helps you. Historical imperative also gives you support. If the characters have never ever been seen before by these individuals and they walk up to them and they have no idea who they are, there should be a certain amount of skepticism to begin with. That skepticism will have to be overcome. On the other hand, if it is the same barkeep that has seen the same PCs for the last six months and they've always been good friends and they've always, always helped each other out, well, the effects of the spell should then be amplified because they're much more familiar with the characters and are far more likely to capitulate without the, the, the magic or the ability in the first place. And then the last thing that I always apply is self-preservation. No one, I don't think, is ever going to do something that could potentially simply hurt them. Unless we are talking about domination. So if the spell is you take control of the thing's mind and it does exactly what you want it to do. Well, that then, as far as I'm concerned, is where you don't have to worry about these things. But if it's anything else, self-preservation should be at the fore. Will this get me killed? As a good example, and one that's fairly topical at the moment, is the Iranian chess player who refused to wear her habib or hajib, I forget the name, her headscarf uh, whilst playing chess at an international competition. That was going against all kinds of things. Was she under a spell? Was she under mind control? No, she was doing it as a statement, the effects of which was exiled from her country, but she wasn't executed, as so many in her country 
have been. So you look at it and you go, well, what is the self-preservation? What is the line to which one might cross or might not cross? And again, you put that into historical imperative, you put that into Ogas, you put that into into, into the uh, context of what is going on. And I think you get a pretty strong case for when the players say, I cast suggestion that these guards who are guarding the treasury should all go on a smoke break. And you go, well, historically, the guards know that the previous guards who went on a smoke break were all executed as traitors. So that's one reason why they wouldn't do it if they were just friends. Step two, they have had a huge amount of training, so they know that that is not going to happen. They are not going to leave. Step three, they know that anyone who leaves their post will die. They're not going to do that. It doesn't matter whether you are friends or not. They're just not going to leave their post. And it doesn't matter what the spell says. If it says something along the lines of suggestion or an idea or friendship, I feel you have grounds to step back and say, no, thank you. I'm not going to do that. Let's talk about this request that you want. Let's try and figure out your problems. You need some money. Let's figure out how we can raise some money. All right. So the next step that I like to then look at when we talk about mass suggestions, we talk about mind control kind of spells and things, is to explore the ramifications. Because remember, our game and our role as GMs, uh, managers of these games, is to handle consequences. And if we don't have any consequences, well, then the players will never learn how to adjust their approach. So consequences. Are there memories of the event? Does the guard remember being befriended? Do they, do they remember that they were under some kind of spell or some kind of effect? Because as far as I'm concerned, if I had met somebody and they had cast a spell upon me and made me spend some money, go out of my way, do a little favor for these people. I, when learning about it, I would be incredibly angry. I would feel very abused and betrayed by that person. I feel those emotions when someone asks me to do something and they say, oh, they just can't do it. And then later on, I learn that they could. They didn't even cast a spell on me. They just basically lied or were lazy. I feel betrayed at that point. So if someone is using a spell to compel me to do something and they need to manipulate me to do something like that, I would feel incredibly, incredibly betrayed and I would feel abused. I had no control over my actions because you were manipulating me. So what is that going to do for that character moving forward? And what are the, what are the implications is that NPC now going to try and track down the PCs that use those spells to, to get some kind of justice, to get some kind of retribution, to get some kind of response from them? Is there some kind of legal ramification? Can they go to the police and say, uh, excuse me, a bunch of people came in here and convinced me that they were my friend so that I would give them a bigger discount on items in my store and then they left and I realized that they used a spell on me? That's not friendship, that's robbery. That is literally robbery. So there is a very, very important, important amount of consequence that we have to think about. And then occupational ramifications. What are the ramifications for those guards who suddenly desert? Traditionally, in most militaries, uh, 
around the world, if you desert your post, if you are not at your post at the, uh, at the appointed time, there are some serious ramifications. In the old days, oftentimes it was execution or a hundred lashes or something that usually would be crippling to you and to your career. It was just not something that you did. Now, if you are a god, an orc god or a Klingon god, it doesn't matter, and there is a lot of unrest going on, there's uncertainty, there's turmoil. Again, we're looking at the context. You're going to be on high alert and you're going to be much more aware than if the kingdom is completely at peace. So you have to think about that. You have to think about that. What are those, what are those things that are going to happen? And what are they going to do about it if it does happen? What if the NPC does get fired and has one of their hands chopped off or they are blinded so that they might never again be hired to be on guard duty? So no one would ever hire a blind person to look out for their, their goods and things. Wouldn't they perhaps hire someone to go and get retribution for them? Or would they simply go, well, fair enough, they used magic. Good to them, good to them, arms for the poor arms for the poor. I, I think there is something worthy of, of, of looking into that. That's not to say, though, that every enchanter out there who uses their friendships and their suggestions and all of their abilities should be constantly persecuted. But at the same time, I kind of feel like using mass suggestion or using dominate mind or one of those spells is pretty much like someone else casting a giant ball of fire and holding it in front of the person saying, hey, if you don't do what I tell you to do, I'm going to incinerate you. They kind of are optionless positions to be put into. So <clears throat> what does that then mean for us moving forward? Well, not only are the NPCs going to be wanting some kind of revenge, but at the same time, there are going to be things that will be put in place to prevent this kind of stuff from happening. So a lot of times in fantasy worlds, the fantasy heroes are the ones that have special powers. And it's not seen as being overly common that there are wizards around every corner. In high fantasy worlds, there are literally wizards around every corner. And again, this opens up that giant, giant can of worms where we go, okay, all right, so magic exists. Magic has always existed. Everybody knows magic exists. Everybody knows that the Jedi have mind control powers. Everyone knows that the Vulcans can do their whole um, mind melding trick thing. Um, right, so point of business number one, how do we prevent our kingdom from being completely crippled by everybody rushing off and learning how to use basic suggestion magic? Because unless it is a rare occurrence, there are very few other occupations that people would take up unless they had no choice. Why would you? If you know that you can literally go to school and study how to control other people so they'll do all of your stuff for you, wouldn't that be the kind of choice that you'd make? 
So, kingdoms need to figure out ways around this. NPCs need to figure out ways around this. If the players go up and mind control the Grand Vizier into revealing a secret, that Grand Vizier, after that event has happened, is going to be so self-conscious of that happening again. And I have to say this, folks. Uh, there is a comment, oh, we would need a therapy support group for people who've been mind controlled. I know it sounds crazy in one sense, but in another, this is the ultimate violation of your mind. The violation of your body is something that is terrifically terrible. The violation of your mind arguably is worse, perhaps, where you have no control over what's going on. Physically, you probably don't have control over what's going on either. So it's this really, 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 really dark thing that's actually happening, which the players often feel is just a way of getting what they want and not having to fight for it. So these people, these places, these kingdoms, they are going to want to protect themselves. Are they going to build up defenses? Are they going to develop some kind of magical mind-protecting mind shield? Are they going to develop some kind of learning? Uh, where or what can be done to prevent this from happening? If I was the ruler of a kingdom and I knew that there were individuals out there who could literally control the minds of the people closest to me, talk about paranoia. Oh, absolutely. So every space suddenly gets a zone of anti-magic, perhaps. Magic gets outlawed. Magic gets banned. Magic gets relegated to the corners of the world where it gets forgotten about. Well, that's a campaign setting. And that's not actually dealing with mind control in the context of what we were talking about. That's not looking at how we can work with mind control. But we do have to have these things. In our minds, so we can understand how to play it in such a way that it becomes interesting and not just a, I'm going to walk through town controlling everything. So adding to our little bag of thoughts and ideas is, do we alter the rules? Well, if we do, we have to make it very clear from the onset. It's like saying in the campaign setting, well, actually, folks, magic is seen as something that's way too powerful Necromancy ruins the economy because you have a whole bunch of people who will work quite literally for nothing. They will actually work for less than peanuts. Um, you have the elementalists who will set fire, destroy, burn, or do all kinds of damage, but that's not really too problematic. You then have the mind controllers who are going to just dominate everyone's mind and never pay taxes, uh, basically be able to get away with murder. So effectively politicians and clergy. Uh, but we don't want that either. So they get relegated out. So do you see how magic is so, so powerful? If we alter the rules, we have to do it before session one. We have to do it in session zero, where we let people know, hey, by the way, necromancy is illegal because it undermines the workforces. Uh, enchantment is something that is seen as being even worse than, than uh, murder. Uh, you can't use uh, divination because trying to predict the future is also just, it's just illegal because it causes all sorts of things to happen. Uh, do you change the monsters in your game? Do you suddenly give them these mind immunities? 
because it is funny when you look at certain systems, uh, you go, oh, well, this entire species is basically immune to mind control. And you go, wow, they would be really good at using mind control magic because they know that it, doesn't, it can't work in their space. So why are they, all of them just using mind control magic? Anyway, looking at however you want to do it, look at, look, look, at, look at that. Alternatives or limits. Can you suggest or can you add in limits? Can you go back and say, okay, folks, look, if the spell says friends, this is the context in which friendships will play out. If it says suggestions, these are how suggestions will play out. If it is domination, this is how it will play out. Think about those kinds of things. Furthermore, and I think this is the biggest thing, and I notice that I myself am a little bit nervous to do it, is to use it against the players. Because it really does feel like it is absolutely the ultimate betrayal. It's like, well, I'm taking control of your character. And I'm just going to make your character do stuff. Because when it comes to domination, frequently I have gone, no, 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 uh, play a character. You must attack the party with your best abilities. Uh, tell me what you're doing. And the player will invariably meta game and go, well, my character knows that this character's got a weakness for blueberries. So instead of hitting them with my axe which does a bazillion damage i'm going to offer them a blueberry because that'll stop them from fighting you're going well you are liberally interpreting the use of the spell and the leniency i've given you so actually i'm going to control your character let me look at your character sheet what's the most powerful attack damage thing that happened okay great that's the one that you're using so that's something that that uh, one has to 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 bear in mind uh, mind control in general is going to be frustrating if you have programmed plots into your game if you have programmed set outcomes if you have programmed monsters battles and things along those lines and your players are using mind control you are going to get frustrated and so you must simply adopt the approach that I've outlined here, as far as I can see, where you go, okay, let's follow those suggestions. Let's see where this path takes us. Where does the story now turn and twist? Yes, the party might get successful now, but in six months' time when that NPC comes seeking retribution and protected against mind-controlling magic, or perhaps armed with even more powerful mind-controlling magic so they can teach the PCs what it was like to lose all control, well, that is now a much more interesting story than if the PCs had just gone in and instead of using mind control, let's say they had used some kind of powerful magic to just decimate their enemy, kill the enemy and move on. So sometimes we have to remember that letting the players win in this kind of way gives us much more food for thought and potential adventures later on. And so it is sometimes worth just going along with it and seeing where it ends up. And also, I do find it fun that when the NPCs become aware that they're being controlled, how they react afterwards, and, and what they do afterwards. And knowing that that is coming, I love to use it as a pressure point for my players. Because sometimes, and I will admit, I do this sometimes, the players will mind control someone that they don't see as being a particularly powerful character. And whilst that character is under mind control, because I know that the spell is going to end in a minute or in 10 minutes, or that when it ends, they will know that they have been charmed, I will subtly 
increase the power capabilities of that character. Not often, but every now and again, the players will think, oh, we've just got a humble god. And they discover that this god is a retired veteran dragon hunter and that he gave up the life because he was raising a family. And this comes out as casual conversation. And suddenly the players are going, uh, guys, what are we going to do when the spell runs out? Because this guy, it feels like we got lucky with the spell. And when the spell is over, they are going to come back for us uh, with a vengeance. Especially if you have that character then going, oh, I, I, it, my failing, my failing, I would say, is that I hold grudges. I hold such grudges that when I kill someone, I take their body, I burn it into ash, and then I take that ash out to the coast, and I scatter just a piece of that ash upon the coast, upon the waters of the ocean. And then I take the rest of the ash, and I climb to the top of a mountain, where I'll scatter just a piece of those ashes to the four winds. And then I'll take a boat and sail to the opposite side of the planet, where I'll go out into the desert, in the middle of the desert, and I will nearly die, but I will get to that middle of the desert, and I will bury a few more of those ashes. And then finally, I will have some of those ashes, ashes tattooed into my own flesh, so that I am always close to those who betrayed me. I hold grudges. That's my one weakness. Otherwise, I'm really, really, really powerful. Uh... And those will cause the players to suddenly realize that maybe they've charmed the wrong person. And I will do that once or twice, but not very often. And it is usually only when my players have mass suggested their way through the entire bureaucracy. And I go, hmm, yes, well, time to put the brakes on this, this idea. Those are my thoughts. And chat was saying, how do I read chat without bursting out into laughter? Oh, I do. I do. Silently inside my head, I am laughing very, very, very loudly. Um, so, uh, yeah, chat's a lot of fun. Again, if you uh, want to join us, discord.gg forward slash great GM. And uh, that's every Tuesday, 5 p.m. BST. We have come to the end of today's uh, show chat thing. It's been a pleasure. Nice to see some old names in chat. And I, uh, well, it's the 14th of February. So that means um, roll with your red dice tonight, I guess, if you're a traditionalist. And until next time, I wish you and yours the very happiest of gaming.